it's like on Twitter, like I said, with social media, you're usually getting the best from people. They're sharing like their wins, they're sharing the successes and the good things. But like we're all human at the end of the day. We're all going to have struggles and feel these feelings. And like you said, it will surprise you sometimes people that you think are on top and just cruising through with no worries in the world. But then you have a conversation and they surprise you. Welcome to Morning Tea and Torture with Tapir One, a podcast with no agenda and no expectations. We're just having a cup of tea with friends, talking about digital art and other creative ways to, well, waste your time. Now, here's your host, Tapir One. Call him Tio. My guest today is Christopher Shin, a photographer based in Seattle. Chris is widely known and acknowledged for his project By Way of Water, in which he documents his time on the ferries around the Seattle area. Chris shines a light on moments that some may ignore as ordinary. By sharing these seemingly mundane experiences, Chris invites us to get a better understanding of the human mind, the importance of being present in the moment, and our place in the world. You can find his works on Foundation and SuperRare. Today, Chris is here to share a bit about his life and his art. Everybody, please welcome Christopher Shin. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, yeah, thanks for, I guess, I think I kind of invited myself to this, but I'm excited to chat. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. Yeah, awesome. So, Chris, you moved from the foggy Bay Area to foggy Seattle. What does this tell us about you? I am a cooler climate-loving individual. We're starting to get some sunshine now in Seattle. It's going to be a hot couple weeks. And part of me is excited because of the natural vitamin D and the lack of depressing clouds. <laughs> But the other part of me is kind of just dreading the heat and sweating just from doing normal day-to-day -day activities like walking the dog and hanging out outside. But yeah, I guess I'm just a bigger fan of cooler climates. So the West Coast, the upper West Coast has been well suited for me. All right, that explains the beanie, of course, on your head. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> always. So, so what motivated you to make this change to move from from the Bay Area, and how do you like living in the Seattle area? Yeah, so my partner and I, Jeannie, had traveled up here quite a bit years prior to moving because my sister moved up probably somewhere around ten years ago, and Jeannie's sister and brother-in-law also ended up here after being on the East Coast for a little bit. We kind of figured it'd be nice to be close to that family. My mom also moved up during the pandemic to help out my sister and her husband with their two kids because all of the daycare systems and schools got shut down, obviously. So they were kind of stuck trying to work with two toddlers in a small home. So a lot of my family migrated up here and we started looking at homes in the Bay Area and quickly realized that we were going to not be able to afford anything that we were happy with at all and just started discussing Seattle. And then before we knew it, we were doing FaceTime walkthroughs with real estate agents of different homes up here. And we bought a house and moved in the middle of the pandemic, really. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? So it's nice to be closer to the family, I can imagine. And it's a very lovely area. I've been there a couple of years ago or many years ago, actually. And yeah, I like it. Uh, I like the climate too. And it is to me, it felt pretty European, actually, Seattle, somehow. 
Don't know why, but... <laughs> I haven't traveled to Europe at all, but it would be interesting to see those, <laughs> those similarities when I do, to see uh, what you're touching on. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, Chris, <laughs> how and when did you first become interested in photography? Yeah, so my parents bought a kind of run-of-the-mill Canon digital camera probably when I was in like middle school. At that age, you're pretty much just interested in anything that's technologically based, whether it's, you know, the newest like Nintendo or PlayStation or Xbox, or if it's your parents' new camera. So I immediately drew interest in the newest gizmo that my family had. And I remember taking pictures outside in our front yard of just like close-up shots of flowers in the garden and then immediately seeing that photo shown back to me on the screen on the back of the camera and thinking how crazy this was because... You know, up to that point, digital photography hadn't really been the standard. It was people were still, you know, shooting film, I guess, which I didn't do any of as a kid. But that was my earliest memory of showing interest in a camera that ultimately got shelved for quite a few years. In high school, I took a photo class that kind of taught me like the ins and outs of developing film and then altering photos digitally. So it's kind of like a split course that kind of gave you insight to both sides of the direction of photography. And then I focused on music for a long time and then came back to photography probably in 2015, working a job for someone who needed social media help. And part of that was taking pictures for some of the businesses that he owned. Quickly discovered that my favorite part of that job was the photography element of it. And then started taking cameras on little road trips and taking some landscape photography in Yosemite or on the California coast. And then before I knew it, it completely just took hold and became the main thing that I do. <laughs> so it's been a long journey to this point, but I couldn't be happier with the camera in my hands. I see. I see. So yeah, first first digital camera must have been like like magic and no bad feeling about wasting expensive film or waiting days until the film is finally developed just to see that nothing really <laughs> worth shooting was there. So yeah. Those days didn't come until 2020 when I started shooting film primarily and some definitely some humbling experiences along the way, but it is definitely a different experience than shooting digital. Both of them have their perks, obviously. So in high school, you said you, you learned developing film. You mean actual analog film uh, yeah. in the dark chamber? <laughs> yeah, there, our high school had a dark room. And I remember one of our first assignments was to create a pinhole camera out of like a cardboard box and poking oh, a cool. hole so that the light would shine through on the film. And it was completely mind-blowing, but also felt like a task because it was high school, you know, it was an assignment. Whereas if he did it now, it'd be more fun. It was crazy seeing how something could go from being nothing to being put in these chemicals in the right conditions and seeing this chemistry create and bring these images to life. So that was a really cool thing to experience. I know a lot of friends in the space that still shoot and develop their own film and scan everything themselves, which is just another rabbit hole that <laughs> I'm sure I'll go down eventually. But for now, I trust the wonderful people at my film lab in Seattle to make sure that I don't do all the shooting and then screw it up. So, <laughs> All right. So you didn't reserve a room in your house already, or do you have plans <laughs> already? Okay, this room could be a dark <laughs> Maybe not inside the house, but we have a fairly sized detached garage that I'm in right now that has a drum set, has our Peloton. Oh yeah, and I can see the Lambo in the back, right? <laughs> yeah, the Lambo. We have space. It's just a matter of creating the right setting and the 
you know, making sure obviously that it's completely sealed off from light so that it doesn't just become an overexposure <laughs> situation yeah. for the film I hope to develop. But they make all sorts of different things too, where I think you could, I could technically do it right now in the house without having much of a footprint. But again, it's just a rabbit hole that ugh, I'm just not ready to go down yet. <laughs> and you only have 24 hours in the day, right? So yeah, something's got to give you on Twitter, just uh, <laughs> looking for something to chase, you know? All right. I got to ask you, why fairies, Chris? Gosh, I don't honestly, like it, it's one of those things that I think just kind of clicked. I shared a post a couple of days ago about the camera that my mom offered me that belonged to my dad who passed when I was 18. And when I started using that camera, The one of the first things I did was, you know, buy some film, walked around our neighborhood on one of our walks and just kind of shot a few photos and had a role developed just to kind of see like if it was a complete failure or if I was kind of like going down the right direction with it. And it wasn't awful. I still love some of those first photos I took. We had some friends in from town and we were going to take the ferry out to Bainbridge Island. And I figured, well, I'll bring the film camera along and shoot some photos. And some of those photos became some of the first photos I minted in By Way of Water. And Oh, really? Yeah, I love the way that the aesthetic and the vibe that I was experiencing on the ferry translated on film. Because especially during the pandemic, there's a lot of like social distancing, people wearing masks. Overall, I feel like life kind of just had a tense, but also kind of like on the ferries, things feel very isolated and quiet and peaceful, but also in this tumultuous time. And I felt like that translated really well on film. So I kind of just continued to chase that because obviously in the pandemic, we were all kind of stuck at home and going through a lot of like external hard drives and diving into photos we took in the past, you know, trying to mint one of ones or collections, but not a lot of us were shooting a lot of new material or really getting out into the world. So this gave me an opportunity to kind of focus on something new and kind of create a new passion project kind of in my backyard, which was really helpful. And I think really helped me through those years where otherwise you weren't really doing much. So riding on ferries and just developing your skills. I like that. And yeah. I, I like that you said the start wasn't awful. So it's a good start not being awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There were definitely some roles that I loaded into my camera incorrectly and ended up just being completely blank. Oh, boy. So some parts that <laughs> I'll never see that were, you know, at the time I was excited about. And then I remember texting Nathan Bowman and, and another photographer, Jacob, goes by Jacob LR. They both kind of held my hand as I started shooting film. And I remember texting one of them being like, you know, when I started winding up the film, it felt really easy like there wasn't much tension and they're like oh like you may have it may have never caught and you may have gotten zero <laughs> shots out of that role and sure enough took a couple rolls to the lab and they're like these were good but this one was completely blank <laughs> oh, and boy. like i said humbling experiences for sure not a good feeling feeling like you shot 36 photos and none of them ever came to life and i can imagine that developing film today is much much more expensive than it was like perhaps in the 80s 90s where everyone had just film cameras yeah yeah they're definitely i feel like the print labs are definitely more niche there's a couple in seattle um i go to panda lab which is down by the city center in space needle but there's another one that's actually much closer to my house that I haven't tried yet because I feel like I've just kind of established trust in what they do at that lab. But there's options. But yeah, they're not they're not cheap and neither is film. So definitely makes you a little more intentional in what you shoot, which I think is kind of helpful for someone like me who could just go out 
with a digital camera and shoot thousands of photos in a day and come home and have to sort through this huge catalog of photos. <laughs> it so, take you weeks um, to, to go through these. Yeah. Yeah. That's like when I started shooting landscape, I'd go to Yosemite for a day and come home with like 3000 photos or something crazy. And then, <laughs> you know, you realize you took 50 photos that are exactly the same of half dome. And you're like, I didn't need to shoot all these. I could have just shot just another couple. one, just another one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just a couple more, just in case. See, I, I definitely like that aspect of shooting film where it causes me to be a little bit more intentional and slow down and make sure I really want to take this photo or put the camera down and move on to the next thing. So, Oh, yeah. And this translates, as I said, very well to the yeah, tranquility of ferries, slow moving, relatively slow and confined space. You're alone with yourself. This seems very fitting, I would say. Totally. So is the, the series A Way of Water, did you plan this to be a series from the beginning? And if so, how? Yes and no. I think when I first started shooting on the ferries, it was kind of just for me. And then this was probably around the end of July. And then obviously early August was when the collection was minted. And that's when collections were like really, really taking off and becoming something that, you know, up to that point, there was maybe like two or three collectors that were buying one of ones. And there was seemingly dozens and dozens of artists trying to get the attention of those couple of people every day to hopefully get a sale. And when collections happened, it gave more people the opportunity to buy work at a, a lower price point than what a lot of people were pricing their one of one work at to start. And I had some old photos from Bali and Japan that I thought could be cool little collections. But Again, Nathan Bowman had released Hidden in Plain Sight. And I remember I was flying back to San Francisco because my uncle is a dentist and I didn't have a dentist here yet. And I had this terrible toothache. So I flew back to San Francisco to go get like a filling checked out or something. And on that flight, I remember coming up with the name by way of water. And I knew that when I got home that day, I was going to come home. The first thing I was going to do is sit down and mint the first batch of photos for it and make it a collection of 100 that... The other 80 hadn't been shot yet, which again, kind of circles back to having a project to focus on during the pandemic. And it gave me something to work towards and a body of work that had been presented and introduced that was largely incomplete and was going to be something that rolled out in a, a few different drops. So yeah, from the get-go, I knew it was going to be a bigger collection than the 20 or 30 images that I minted in the first drop. You can really see the progression of when I started shooting film to where it ended with the 100 piece number 100 being completely on a different end of the spectrum as far as composition and skill and everything. I kind of like that it shows that progression. It's kind of like a documentary, like a documentary of my progression of starting to shoot film, which for better or worse shows some strengths and some weaknesses. But it's something to be proud of just to see your own development here. And there's nothing to, to hide and to show others improvement of your style or of your composition, as you said. Yeah, I can just recommend anyone who would like to see it. I'm going to put it in the show notes, this collection. And if you filter it or sort it by oldest first, um, then you can see the development through throughout here. So even the first ones are really, really great pieces. So and this is why it has been received so well, I guess, because it speaks to so many people here. And I've been on one of those ferries too. I even have a photo. I shared it with you a couple of months yeah. ago. You remember? I was I, I was that. looking through old photo albums and it was in front of one of those. And so it's, it's really tranquility 
and some kind of meditative state here that 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 flows through this year. Yeah. I love when people share photos that they've either been on the ferries before here or they've been taking a ferry elsewhere in the world and kind of just thought of the work and it always makes me happy when I see a post that comes through that tagged me or someone shoots me a DM being like, hey, like I rode these ferries years ago or, you know, on my engagement trip or our honeymoon, we went to Seattle and this photo reminds me of that experience. So it's always really cool to hear when people have had those experiences and kind of felt like that body of work reignited those memories. So that's really lovely. And the thought of you, the ferry man, Chris. <laughs> Me, the ferry guy. <laughs> ferry guy. And recently you minted, or it's been a couple of weeks ago, or even months, I don't know exactly, a special edition of 365, it was called. Yeah. And this is just, it was to celebrate the one year anniversary of this by way of water. So uh, perhaps you would like to share a bit about how, how you feel about this milestone one year of way of water and perhaps would care to share some some highlights or even challenges of the past year that you lived through. Yeah. So the 365 edition was, like you said, it was a celebratory edition that was priced at, I believe it was 0.02 per edition. And there was 365 of them. And it was kind of just a way to acknowledge how much had taken place in such a short period of time, all things considered. And something I like to do a lot and I encourage others to do is just kind of stop and appreciate like where we're at instead of always looking for the next thing or how you could make your next biggest sale or surpass like a milestone you've achieved. But really like realize at the beginning of 2020, none of this existed for a lot of us. And now we have this whole new collection of friends and other creatives and collectors that we've connected with and that support our work that otherwise we may not have ever connected with. And that's kind of what that edition was. And I wanted to price it at a point where like mostly anybody could pick one up if they wanted to. I think 0.02 ETH, the lowest was like 40 or $50 or something. So just giving people an opportunity to own the work if they wanted to, while also acknowledging that year that had passed since I had initially minted the, the collection. As far as like challenges or achievements along the way, like just seeing the the secondary market on the collection be able to grow is something that I'm really proud of because obviously there are a lot of collections being released in the summer of 2021. And I think a lot of them kind of just got released and moved on from. And I kind of just wanted by way of water to be more of, I think people call it like a legacy collection. And I kind of wanted to lean into it more and kind of just try and build some value, get people excited and continue it beyond the primary sellout, which was one of the things I was extremely proud of along the way is just being able to sell out a 100 image collection. Challenges? I, I mean, all my challenges, I feel like are internal, whether it's imposter syndrome, creative ruts, going through sections where you feel like you haven't picked up a camera and gone to shoot in a while, you know, and for a while I was hosting a lot of spaces. I was hosting like two to three drop spaces a day for other artists that were releasing work. And it was a great experience. And I connected with a lot of people because of it, but I also had no time to go to anything else. So I remember having to make a deliberate decision to, to take a, a hard break and get out and shoot more and get more creative, which was a good decision, you know, in hindsight, because we all came to this space sharing work that we were proud of that we created, but then we all started spending so much time here that we stopped doing the very thing that brought us here. That was a challenge I had to overcome was just finding out how to balance my time better, not just be on Twitter for 
12 hours a day because at some point you've kind of done all you can for the day and you should probably get out and like diversify (laughs) the hours that you have a little bit more. So that was an important decision and an important adjustment that I made, but it was definitely a challenge. Yeah, and this brings us back to what you said at the beginning that you sometimes just have to stop and appreciate where you are at and not always think about the next thing and the next thing that you're going to do and have to do. But this is a problem that I guess most of us have even in daily activities like eating. You're eating, but you're always thinking about the next thing or you're you're on the phone with someone and thinking about what you're going to do this evening. So it's it's very difficult to just stay in the moment. So this is something we have to learn and I like it that you use this 365 edition as a as a point to stop and to appreciate and perhaps we can learn a bit <laughs> from this. Yeah, and your your collection is really an outlier in terms of secondary activities and we are going to talk about this a little bit later, how you achieve this uh, to keep this thing alive, so to speak, thing that most artists have a problem achieving, actually. Do you have perhaps a memorable or interesting experience that you've had while shooting for your collection? I shared By Way of Water number 100 the other day on Twitter, which is kind of the photo that I, I share the most because it's probably one of the photos that immediately kind of like stood out to me as one of the photos that I I couldn't believe I took. I remember taking it. We were, my girlfriend Jeannie and I were going on like a little weekend trip out in the San Juan Islands and the ferry ride from Anacortes to Friday Harbor is probably like an hour to an hour and a half. So it's a pretty good amount of time to shoot. So I was just kind of making my way around the ferry, finding different lighting, seeing if there's different subjects I wanted to try and shoot. And I had come up the stairs from the car deck. So this is, I guess, like the second of three floors on the ferry, all indoors. Obviously, being in Seattle, you need a lot of indoor seating. <laughs> and the lighting in that moment, I couldn't believe. It was just shining on these caramely brown, old, like stuck in the 80s leather booths. And the windows, I mean, the water was as blue as can be. And then you could see some islands in the distance. And I just remember that composition just coming up those stairs and I just blew through like two rolls of film just on that one scene alone. I was shooting them horizontally, vertically, lower, higher, different apertures, just like adjust doing all sorts of different adjustments, but making sure that I got like every single option I could from that scene. Yeah, it ended up being one of my favorite photos I've ever taken and probably will be one of my favorite photos I'll ever take. Ended up being it's going to be the cover of the Byway of Water photo book that I'm working on. It's largely been the cover photo for the collection. And I intentionally made it Byway of Water 100 just to kind of put an exclamation mark on the collection is like, this is it. This is the final photo. And I feel like it's a statement piece. And that's one that was definitely a memorable shooting experience and a memorable experience of getting the film scans back and releasing that photo and the feedback it got. And Yeah, it's one of my favorites, and I think it always will be. And it's a beautiful one. It's hard to believe that this is actually one photo that you took on film because the dynamic range in this is so so high because you can clearly see the landscape and the back with the uh, trees and the blue water and then the interior of the the ferry. And it's it's like a montage, actually, or a composite, but it it isn't. (laughs) And it has a very, as you said, a golden glow to it. Yeah. Yeah, that photo blew my mind. I I think I shot it at eight. I'm not the most technically savvy photographer on the planet, but I I feel like I've heard that you typically double 
the aperture of the lens to get like the sharpest photos. So the lens that I have on my Mamiya 7, which is a medium format film camera, is it's an f4 80 millimeter so i think i shot that in f8 just to make sure that it was going to be like tack sharp and because of that i think you were able to get that kind of like depth of field and all that dynamic range where it captures not only the booth and then didn't have everything blown out in the background but it was able to get the foreground the background which again when i got those scans back from that trip i couldn't have been more excited about that photo and I also took another photo that I love on that same trip, which is one that you've probably seen that has, it looks like a straight out of a Wes Anderson movie, but it's the three turquoise chairs with kind of like a diagonal shadow (laughs) being shown across it. It was a trip that yielded a lot of photos that I think surprised me quite a bit that I was really, really excited about. I love that that you can discover so much on a ferry. Yeah, you just got to look for it. (laughs) (laughs) It is the piece with the three three chases, 51, I think, number 51. Yeah, kudos. Aperture 8 means that you have got to have some really steady hands, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Luckily, it was bright. I've tried to take some photos at night on the ferry, and that's probably where I've had the most blurry lot of movement you can tell because the exposure was just way too long mm-hmm. there's a few shots i've taken recently that i've been like laying on my stomach on the floor of the ferry to try and get like a shot of some feet hanging out of the booth but it's at night so i need to like completely just like be on the ground so that yeah. i'm not flexing my core and just like shaking while i'm trying to take this picture so people probably think i'm insane but luckily there's not many people on the night ferry so I didn't have an audience. And they already know you by now. Okay, this is Chris again. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> Just move on. I, I wonder if, you know, the surveillance on the fairs, if they start to recognize people mm. or not. It's <laughs> kind of fun to see. But yeah, I'm on the fairies quite a bit, but some people think I like live on them, which which isn't the case. But <laughs> I see. I take a lot of photos when I am on them. So I make it worthwhile. Yeah. What brought you on my radar was not the By Way of Water series, but your Tokyo Love Story collection, actually, which consists of several black and white one-of-ones that you took while traveling to Japan. So I'm really curious. I would love to hear more about that trip. Yeah, that trip was quite a whirlwind. I actually took all the photos for Bali and black and white on that same trip which is another collection I released kind of around the same time as the Tokyo collection. Those are all photos I took with a mirrorless setup that I took with me on that trip. We had gone to Bali before Tokyo for one of Jeannie's co-workers was getting married. And they decided to get married <laughs> in Bali because they had family from the States and then family from Asia that were going to, I guess, kind of be like a halfway point. Just so happened to be a, a beautiful halfway point. So no one was complaining. The trip out there was insane. Flew out of San Francisco and between San Francisco and Taiwan for our layover, the airline we were flying on had all of their workers, their onboard workers had gone on strike. So when we landed in Taiwan to transfer, all flights were canceled. So we ended up having to think quickly and ended up taking a flight to Hong Kong and then later transferring to Indonesia without any of our bags, because no one knew where they were at that point. Spent a really fun week in Bali, went to the wedding, and then we headed over to Tokyo for five days, which was a very, in hindsight, a very short trip, because we spent a lot more time in Indonesia. But when we were there, it was kind of everything that I had thought it would be, which my whole life, I'd always wanted to visit Tokyo, or just Japan in general. And we spent 
every single day, just walking around, taking the train, finding good food, seeing some landmarks. And I just couldn't be more excited by the architecture and the people and everything about it. So yeah, that collection kind of showcases in a respectful way the things that I I really loved about our visit. I actually dropped that collection originally and had some photos of people's faces. And there's also a picture of a kid. And someone had reached out and said that in Japan, they're really, they really value their privacy. And I didn't feel right about going to a place, taking photos, and then potentially disrespecting anyone that I had taken photos of. So I immediately deleted the whole collection and then reminted it with different photos and subtly blurred some faces in the collection just to be more respectful, I guess. So it was a good learning experience and the drop went well. And it's been, yeah, I'm excited. I'm actually going back to Japan in the fall for about a month. So going to be shooting a lot more in Japan that hopefully holders of that first collection can have priority to. And hopefully I come back with some cool stuff. I'm going to shoot all film. So yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. So some secret alpha here that you're dropping right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone go buy a piece from that collection so that you get on a, an allow list of sorts. <laughs> I don't think there's any listed, which is no, awesome. Currently not. Currently not. Sometimes yeah. the art is just too good. You don't sell any. Sometimes I'll get like a little bit of a secondary and I'm like, where did this come from? And then I'll see that someone had accepted an offer or someone listed something. But I think Fuck Render was the last person that bought a piece in that collection, which I couldn't believe. Really cool. But yeah, I can't wait to get back. We were supposed to go in 2020, but the pandemic ruined all of our plans. So yeah, kind of making up for a lost trip. So I can't wait. Yeah, I hope to to get there to one day. Tokyo or Kyoto yeah. really I'm drinking yeah. the tea all the time, so I think I thought I could uh, go now and see <laughs> where it's been made. But the tea, of course, has been made at the Pacific South, so the Southern Islands uh, rather than, than in Tokyo, of course. So you did not shoot these in black and white, but you later decided to change it. They were all shot in color, and I edited them in black and white. I think it was kind of a reaction to just seeing so much work that was like kind of exaggerated and oversaturated and like flashy and super uh, colorful. Yeah. And I've always had an appreciation for Ansel Adams and the black and white work that he shot around California and all the places that he had been. So I think in that moment in time, I was just really, really into black and white and was kind of looking at the edits I had done in color and the edits I had done in black and white. And I just liked the black and white ones more because I feel like they were just a kind of contrarian to what everything else you were seeing. Especially with Bali. See a lot of colorful stuff from Bali, really like crazy, heavily edited. And they're beautiful photos, but it's just not really my vibe. So I feel like black and white was kind of just the creative direction I felt in that moment. And luckily, people were, were into it. Yeah, and felt fitting. Uh, I love Ansel Adams. So a small peek of what we can expect from you in the future, perhaps. Yeah. I've shot a little bit of black and white film that I love too. Um, I shoot a lot of color, but every time I shoot any black and white, it kind of just has a has a different vibe to it. I love Kodak Portra 400, but I've been gifted some black and white film by a couple other photographers that are like, shoot some black and white, and they're like, nail yeah. me film. And <laughs> I'll shoot a few rolls, and I've loved all of it, but kind of depends how I feel at that moment, I guess. Would you say you're a solo artist? 
you're doing collapse and we can talk about collapse later but uh, would you say it has been become increasingly difficult to make it on your own as a solo artist in web3 today you're pretty successful compared to to a lot of artists who are struggling but what would you say here i would argue that it's the contrary because obviously like you're a collector of mine which i appreciate so i feel like you're in my corner right so if i have collectors who own my work i feel like that solo artist kind of changes into becoming kind of like a team effort you know i very recently because i feel like there was a lot of burnout initially of it but i recently made a by way of water collectors chat just like a dm chat on twitter that i can share obviously like the collab stuff that i've done and updates on the book and any other things like secondary sales and kind of get everyone excited in one place but it feels like there's more of a team behind it now than when we were all on Instagram trying to like build a following there and try and like sell prints or get client gigs or whatever it may be. It was very much a solo, felt solo, because it was very much like, look at me. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm selling versus other people saying, hey, look at him. Look what I bought from him. Look what they're about to release. You know, like I feel like the marketing starts as very much as like a solo endeavor but as you start to pick up collectors along the way it seems like you have more people in your corner i'd say it feels less of a, a solo endeavor in web3 than it may have felt elsewhere yeah it's an interesting take that you build or become a team together with your collectors and perhaps your web3 peers also so that you don't have the feeling that you're really alone out there Yeah, and that was the cool thing about collections too, is because some of us had liquidity from, you know, our collection selling or one of one sales, and we were eager to kind of reinvest it back into each other's work. And there's a good chunk of collectors of my work that are other artists. And I feel like that in itself really lends itself to that collective kind of team effort. Like, you know, I'm buying from your mint, you're buying from mine, we're kind of helping boost each other's posts, obviously like the retweets and quote tweets on Twitter, make it a lot easier than maybe Instagram where you have to like reshare someone's story or whatever it may be. So yeah, I think artists, obviously, like as times get tough in this space, you start to see it wanes, you know, it kind of goes up or down. Some people are feeling like stressed by it. Some people are kind of feeling burnt out and you start to see the excitement kind of come and go. But I think Overall, I think a lot of artists have each other's back in this space. And it's really cool to see that continue even through like the bear markets and whatever <laughs> come our way, these selling droughts or whatever. So yeah, it definitely feels like a, a team effort, especially amongst the collectors and peers, which is cool. That's true. Encouraging each other in these yeah. challenging times is important and something we see every day, which I which I really like. And this is why I'm still here <laughs> uh, for this. Speaking of working as a team, you're also a master, I would say, of collaborations. So you collectors of your By Way of Water series are being constantly rewarded uh, with amazing airdrops I've seen, like artists like Storm, Pop Wonder, Terrell Jones, Delta Sauce, and many more have made pieces just for you and for your collectors. So how did you come up with that idea, which is amazing? <laughs> It was one of those things that just kind of came out of nowhere. And I, I'm someone who kind of feels like the worst thing that could happen in any scenario is just someone says no. So I'm always willing to like shoot someone a message or see if someone's into something and kind of just give them the, the agency to be like, yeah, that sounds cool. Or no, I'm way too busy. 
But with the collabs, I, I basically initially reached out to Storm and Terrell with a message just saying, hey, I'm a huge fan of your art. I would love to see your version, your take on this collection of photos. So let me know what you want as a commission amount. It's going to be airdropped. Kind of just gave them all the info up front. Like it's going to probably be like a drop of a hundred. I'm going to pay you up front. We're going to split royalties, but sit with the photos for a while. See what grabs you, see what inspires you. And then just like do your thing. Because obviously as a fellow artist, last thing we want to do is kind of be told what to do with our art because then it's not really a true expression of yourself. And there's trust, right? So going to these artists that I love, I'm doing that because I love what they do. So I don't want to tell them what to do by any means. And yeah, they every artist that I've been lucky enough to commission to do these collaborative pieces as airdrops has just completely like blown me away with what they've done. And the things that they kind of grab onto and how they kind of take it and run with it. And it's just as exciting for me as I'm sure it is for the collectors. Because when I get a DM or an email of a finished piece from one of these artists, it's just, it's cool. It's crazy, you know, and like being able to be in the position where I was fortunate enough to have enough liquidity to kind of reinvest in my own collection in a way that wasn't just printing hoodies or sending out different merch items that are just going to end up in a drawer or in the back of someone's cupboard, but actually give more art and expose people to artists that they maybe hadn't seen. Obviously, there's some big artists in there like Terrell and Pop Wonder and like Post Wook. And then there's some other artists that some people may haven't heard of. And then they see the art as an airdrop and then they're a new fan and hopefully they buy their work in the future. And it kind of works for both parties and kind of benefits everyone. So it's been really cool. And it's helped boost secondary, which is great. I'm excited to start seeing like on cyber galleries that have an entire like bio of water collaboration <laughs> showcase. So yeah, I, I've got a few more in the queue trying to slow down on the drops because, you know, obviously I don't want to just blow through them all, but got some cool ones that are still in the queue. And then hopefully I'll be able to sell more work and have more liquidity to commission more in the future. So selfishly, I don't want to stop anytime soon because it's it's fun for me. <laughs> and it keeps things moving, just keeps people interested. And they're also getting back for, for holding your art, which is pretty awesome. Very impressive. And I like that you let them just off the leash, the other artists, so you don't tell them what to do. And then just they just run away and come back with something that, that blows your mind. It's really cool. Like obviously like Terrell, the piece he did is called Fairy Date and he incorporated characters that he's had in his past work into a fairy scene which is really cool and then an artist like bats that you know has been making a lot of noise doing a lot of like pepe stuff and geometrical things and incorporating that like color palette of the pepe stuff but then he was able to take like one kind of core design element of the collection while also very much making it his own and making it instantly recognizable as being both of ours was It's just like, I'm a photographer. I'm not a digital artist. So anything that anyone makes and sends me is going to completely blow me away and impress me. And everything's been, like I said, it's been really exciting to see my work become a part of something that they created because I, I respect and admire all the artists that I've reached out to. So it's been been really cool. And I don't, the idea just came out of nowhere. So... <laughs> 
on a ferry, probably somewhere on a ferry riding along. So let's run with this. <laughs> Sounds like good, sir. My brain doesn't really stop. So somewhere in all of those thoughts and all the noise, there was an idea that I was able to retain and hold on to long enough to actually sit down and put together a message to these artists. So yeah. got my ADHD in, in check long enough to make something of it, which <laughs> thank goodness. Yeah, I like the how the other artists deconstruct the, the pieces that you have made and put it back together completely different with their own style, which is just awesome to see. And speaking of style, how would you describe your style to someone who has never seen a piece? I would say that it's, I describe my photography as shining light on scenes that people might otherwise consider mundane, which I've shown in, you know, like a drop that I did on SuperArt called Come Together, which was just photos of stairs in San Francisco that you may walk by on the street, not even realize. But to me, I saw, I saw a concept there and I made it a point to shoot it and make something of it. And I feel like with the fairies, it's the same thing where obviously like the collection's done well. I sold some one of one pieces that incorporate the fairies, but for everyone that appreciates it and has collected the work, there's just as many people that are like, why would I care about the fairies? I don't care at all. I've never been on a ferry. It's boring. I don't like it feels depressing. I don't know. Like, what am I supposed to like about this? And that's totally fine because at the end of the day, like we talked about earlier, some people may have had experiences on the ferries, whether in Seattle or other places in the world that they feel that connection. Maybe some people like the subject matter. Maybe people like the write-up about the piece, whatever it may be. But Yeah, I just shoot what I feel like I want to shoot and things that I feel like are worthy of sharing. And luckily enough, people have shown interest in it, which is really special and something that I don't ever take for granted. Because before Web3, you know, I just had a couple thousand followers on Instagram, just posting whenever. And this space has really shown a lot of support and appreciation for what I do. And being able to just create stuff that you like to create and have people show love for it is really fortunate position to be in. So just taking pictures of things that I find interesting that other people might completely not understand. But at the end of the day, it's important to create for yourself and hope that people like it along the way, but not, not the other way around. Oh, yeah, this is important. Do you think an artist should stick to their style once they have found it? I think it's important to experiment and try new things as long as it's something that is true to yourself, right? Like there was a time in Web3 where there was a lot of discussion around photography wouldn't be appreciated or valued unless it had some sort of element of like animation or movement or something that was pushing the boundaries of photography. And in that moment, I could have made more of an effort to try and start animating my work. But that probably wouldn't have been something I had done otherwise, unless there was collectors saying, I'll pay you for it. So at the end of the day, it's not true to me. Whereas to kind of shift, I was shooting landscapes primarily and shooting on a mirrorless digital setup. But if I had never had an open mind to putting that camera down and then exploring film, maybe I would only be shooting landscapes still. And I would have never kind of gone down the route of shooting the fairies and finding that style that I think more people know me for that now than the early work that I minted on like foundation of like Yosemite and different landscapes. So 
I think it is important to explore and, and try new things, especially when you have people like, you know, Ben Strauss and Transient Labs that are doing crazy coding and contracts that allow you to, you know, make dynamic pieces that, you know, you may have never been able to figure out on your own. There's just been a lot of things in Web3 that I think give people the opportunity to kind of like try new things. And I think it's encouraged, which is really cool. Instead of telling people like, stick to your thing, stay in your box. Like, I only like you for this one thing. So don't don't you dare do anything different. So yeah, I encourage people to experiment. And if it's if it works, it works. If it doesn't, at least you tried. So you don't think that you're going to stay the fairy guy until you're 84? <laughs> I wouldn't mind it. I have discussed potentially doing like an international version of Byway of Water, which I think it'd be really fun because obviously like even in Seattle, every ferry is a little different depending on the route. Like there's just different characters and colors and, and just different boats in general that have different things about them that make them all individual and unique. So who's to say that going to another country and riding the ferries around that country aren't going to give me the opportunity to shoot similar compositions, but with completely different subject matter and completely different characteristics. So Fairies are awesome. <laughs> I'd much rather sit on a fair for two hours and be going through water than sit in traffic staring at my phone or anything. So if I end up being the fairy guy till I'm 80, so be it. It's better than being like the, I don't know, the traffic guy or the train guy or the plane guy, because that, that would get old to me. We have some little fairies in Berlin even here, come to think of it. So if you can find them anywhere, wouldn't even yeah, expect them there. there. Yes. And as I said, I love, <laughs> uh, I love the, I mean, I'm not traveling on ferries very often, to be honest, but I love the tranquility and perhaps this transitory state of, yeah, of nothingness, if you, if you will, that you, you have left your old shore, you're not there yet. And there's nothing for you to do, but to be alone with your own thoughts, which is a bit poetic, oh. perhaps, but I really like it. And this is perhaps why many people can connect to your pieces so well uh, with what you're showing so these mundane pieces but those are going very very deep into your mind and soul actually there's definitely something like you said tranquil about like sailing out especially from like downtown seattle where you're literally leaving like the skyline behind right you're sailing away from this busy city full of cars and people and, and life and then you're out on the water and it's it's just whatever's on that ferry or whatever's around the ferry And between point A and point B, like you said, it's just you, right? It's just you and your thoughts or it's you with more often than not, I'll be with my partner, Jeannie. She'll be, she'll be there as well. So I'll be able to shoot and spend time with her and kind of have that undistracted experience. And I mean, there's just a bunch of beauty around it too, right? Because you're in the middle of the water. It's hard for that to be ugly. <laughs> so like I said, it's, it's a method of transportation that I couldn't see myself ever getting sick of here. And I'm sure it's that way in a lot of other places. Yes. So how does your artistic process look like? How do you find or choose your, your motives that you will then put on the blockchain? I'm very much a feeling guy. Like if I, if I have a piece that I'm vibing with, more often than not, it'll be considered something that I'll mint. Obviously, I have a few collections out, a few editions out. I have a lot of work on the blockchain and I know that some people may view that as, okay, you need to like focus on more scarcity, which is something that is always in the back of my mind. But at this point, it's something that I'm far from. It's not like there's 40 Christopher Shin photos on the blockchain and the next one's going to be like a, a huge event. You know, I have a few hundred photos on the blockchain at this point. So I guess when it comes down to it, if there's a piece that I shot that I'm really excited about, and I think someone else 
might also share that excitement for. I won't really think twice about minting it as long as I don't have five or six unminted or unpurchased pieces on like super rare or something. And then obviously paying attention to the market to a certain degree. During the bear, it's interesting because at times it could feel a little bit insensitive to be seeing people that are down bad that may have lost 60 to 70% of their net worth at one point because you know Ethereum went down or another something else kind of tanked. But then to be like, hey, but here's this photo for 5 ETH. <laughs> I know you're down bad, but How about here's it? this photo for 5 ETH. Please buy it. It's kind of, it feels tricky. So I feel like that's why we saw a lot of like open editions and things that were priced a little bit lower so that people could still access the work without breaking the bank, so to speak. There's a lot of factors that go in, but at the end of the day, it's it's mostly just a feeling for me. If I'm excited about a piece and I feel like there might be interest in it, like I usually won't hesitate to go down that route. Yeah, I like it. I can work with it, so no worries. <laughs> so <laughs> I think uh, you spoke of scarcity. I, I don't think that scarcity necessarily applies to the body of work of an artist. So... I mean, Picasso had like a hundred thousand pieces out there and he didn't care about scarcity. But of course, each piece is unique, I guess. This is what scarcity means here in this um, this field. So don't don't worry, throw out your work. And I'm not a, so much a friend of, of just only having one piece available at the time. I'd rather see more than one piece to choose from than just one piece and then another piece, which which somehow feels not genuine, but more artificial. So I think yeah. you're, you're on a good path here. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of artists too, like there might be interest in a piece before it gets minted and it's just like it, it hits super rare and there's a bid and it sells and then you move on versus I think part of the strength of collections was having a bigger body of work out there and giving options to, okay, like I like this piece, I also like this one, but I like this one more. So you yeah. have choices versus here's my one photo. And it's like, and until this sells, <laughs> there will not be any more photos available. You're seems... not going to see anything else for me. <laughs> yeah, like I have th I have three pieces on Super Rare right now. And I feel like it's like a decent offering where it's not just this one thing and I'm going to wait until it sells to mint something new. I might burn one of them and do something else. You kind of just have to showcase what you're proud of. And if something hits, it does. And if it doesn't, then it's like, oh, well, it's not the last photo I'm ever going to take or last photo I'm ever going to mint. So just kind of roll with it. Right. And move on. How long do you usually yeah. work on a piece? Usually just however long it takes me to shoot it and wait for it to get developed and scanned. I don't do a lot of post-processing. A lot of the film stuff that I do, like I'll maybe, I'll maybe touch saturation a little bit maybe adjust highlights and shadows and maybe adjust contrast. And that's usually it outside of cropping. You know, like sometimes I'll have a really good subject matter, but I just shot it too far out and I just need to tighten it up a little bit. But yeah, I'm not doing a lot of post post processing on the film stuff, which I like a lot. Like I, I really like to kind of keep it as true to what I saw as possible because I don't, necessarily think film is the way to create like unbelievable pieces i think that's like much more suited for digital photography just because it's easier to do you have more range and more potential but yeah it's pretty <laughs> pretty true to what i shoot honestly like i get scans back and i'll, I'll barely touch them up 
but I try and get it all right in camera if I can. Okay, this is interesting because I feel like there's a very consistent color grading that you're using, but it could perhaps be the film that you're using that, that brings out this glow in your pictures and the, the golden feeling that you sometimes have when you look at those. So I shoot primarily with Kodak Portra 400, which brings out a lot of greens, I've noticed. There's railings on the ferries and the primary color scheme of the Washington State Ferries is white and green. So any green that's on those ferries usually gets pretty amplified by the Portra 400. But it's also, yeah, it's been great for getting like the rich tones out of like some of these blue booths or like the gold or browns and the deep reds. Like it's just, it's so well suited for the ferries that I've just stuck with it. I've shot a little bit of Kodak gold, different film stock, and I I didn't love it. Like there was a couple pieces that I feel like it was okay but i just didn't maybe i'm just used to my own style and the, my own look of these photos on a different film stock but when i got the scans back i wasn't i wasn't into them as much that being said i am excited to try some other film stocks though because it is there's so many different things that come out based on any stock so i want to start messing around with some cinema still shooting more black and white plus kodak Portra 400 is just super, super expensive. <laughs> so if I can find another film stock that's more affordable that I like, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Do you, do you have a dedicated fridge for your films or do you just don't eat vegetables anymore? <laughs> Stash the films in there. The back right-hand side of our fridge in the house has a Ziploc bag full of film in it that has gotten smaller and smaller. At one point, I bought a ton of film and I just never had to worry about running out. But recently I had to buy a few more boxes. Not a ton. I thought about getting one for out here just to put film in, but I just couldn't justify it. But if my other half starts to feel like we're running out of fridge space, I'll, I'll consider <laughs> it. Get a second fridge. So who or what was your biggest influence in creating art, if there was any? I think my artistic inspirations were probably musicians from an early age because I, I got into playing drums in third grade and that was kind of like my my first kind of dabblings in anything creative. I drew as a kid. I used to love like taking a tracing book and like tracing things and coloring things in. But from a photography standpoint, like I said earlier, I think Ansel Adams was immediately one of those photographers that I started to appreciate when I started to kind of take more notice of photography actually did a report about him in that photo class in high school that I failed because it was supposed to be a, a living photographer. <laughs> and he had been Unfortunately. dead for quite some time, but I still insisted on doing it about Ansel Adams. His spirit is alive still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, well, I did the report I wanted to do, but the teacher, you know, I didn't follow the curriculum, so I oh, failed boy. it. But honestly, like, it's going to sound like such a bullshit, good morning America kind of answer. But I, I've been really inspired by a lot of the creatives in Web3, to be honest. Like we scroll through Twitter all day long and see nothing but new art all the time. I mean, you see photo sets, you're in group chats of people sharing stuff they're working on, like you're seeing stuff that's getting minted and getting purchased. And there's so much different art that I feel like it creeps into what you're doing, whether or not you realize it or not. And I feel like being exposed to so much great art on a daily basis has like subconsciously led me down the route of like finding better compositions and different ways to market and just 
I mean, it all just creeps in whether or not you know it. And I think a big part of my growth as a photographer has been largely attributed to my exposure to great art every single day. So there is that silver lining of spending way too much time on Twitter. <laughs> it's a lot of art. <laughs> yeah, that's solid. I mean, it's a good source of inspiration. It's true. Oh. I think it's it's a great answer. Is there a piece that you have created that has a very special meaning to you or that has a backstory that you would perhaps like to share? Yeah, I shared one today called For Mom with Love, which is a piece that I took in Cannon Beach, Oregon, which is a spot that I traveled to quite a bit as a kid. It was kind of like our every other year, every year we would kind of make the long drive from the Bay Area up to Oregon and spend like a week on the coast and had a lot of memories there with my dad, who I've mentioned earlier, he passed when I was 18. And since then, this place has kind of become a spot that has a lot of good memories, but also like a profane, like sadness and emptiness now, because you have all these past memories that We'll never go anywhere, but then you have these new memories that feel like they're missing someone. So it's kind of become a place that I feel like my girlfriend and my mom and I just went there like last month and spent a weekend. And you can kind of tell that like certain times, like you could, I could tell my mom was kind of like getting caught up in those emotions of kind of probably remembering times she spent with my dad. So it kind of serves as a place of kind of like appreciating those memories, but also recognizing the missing piece. So I titled this piece for mom with love. It's a photo of just a singular isolated subject facing Haystack Rock, which is kind of like the iconic landmark at Cannon Beach. It was also in the Goonies, the beginning of the Goonies, <laughs> which is a great movie. Also in the whale recently, which was really cool. But yeah, that piece is one that definitely has a lot of meaning just because, you know, I, I don't get super vulnerable and open up quite a bit about things. But this piece was one that I did. And then the piece that you own called Active Kindness is another one that I feel like has a message that I am really kind of proud of, just because I do feel like it's important to show those acts of kindness and in kind of web three terms, like give someone their flowers, be complimentary, show appreciation, because those things go a long ways, especially when there's so much shit talking and, you know, nastiness on the internet, I feel like it goes a really long way just to like reach out to an artist you love and tell them that you love their art or reach out to a collector and tell them how much you appreciate the fact that they've supported you and check in on them and see how their life's going. So active kindness is another one too, that I felt like I was really proud of the message when I was minting that. I think people should just lead with kindness. <laughs> at the end of the day <laughs> oh yeah this is an important message be yeah. kind to each other and yeah the for mom with love piece i'm um, seeing it right now we can put it also in the show notes for people to to see and connect mm -hmm. yeah can imagine it sometimes hurts when you go back and return to your childhood places where you have certain memories and then something is missing and you beautifully depicted it in in this photo here so Thank you. Can, yeah, it's, really that was another one that. of those photos that when I got the scans back, I was like, okay, I nailed I nailed this shot, which you don't always know if you're nailing a shot when you're shooting film, because I'm definitely not there yet where I just know like, okay, that one's going to be great. This was one of those shots that when I got it back, I felt like it got across exactly what I wanted to. So I appreciate that. Yeah, that's one of my one of my favorites for sure. You said that you're on Twitter very often. <laughs> And we all know Web3 can take a toll mentally and physically, being online constantly. 
So what keeps you mentally strong and what is your source of strength, your secret source? Yeah, lately it's been trying to focus more on having like consistent exercise. Even just as recently as this week, I felt like my mental health was like deteriorating and I just got off Twitter and came out here and got on the bike and by the end of my workout was feeling infinitely better. So it's just one of those things where kind of like we touched on earlier, you have to find that balance. And for me, that balance is making sure that I'm spending, obviously spending enough time on Twitter where it doesn't feel like I've gone anywhere, being consistent, sharing work, engaging, touching base with people, promoting work, but also spending time to get out and be with my camera and you know, spend time with my dog and get exercise. And this time of year, like getting some vitamin D and being out in the sunshine, because yeah, I mean, you're just going to drive yourself crazy if you're only on social media all day long, because it tends to be a spot where people share their highs, the best aspects of their lives. And if you're in a vulnerable position, and you're only seeing, you know, I sold this today, or this person made this much money, or this this collection sold out this fast and you're sitting here all day just scrolling through things and seeing what everybody else has that you don't have, you're going to drive yourself crazy. So yeah, for me, it's just spending time doing the other things that are going to keep me physically and mentally sound. And that's creating and exercising and spending time with the people that I love and traveling whenever I can. Yeah, and you got to discount those cheering messages that you see. Don't see them that often now, these days. These yeah. messages from, oh, I got a sale because nobody sells anything almost at the moment. Yeah, it's wild, man. Like, I remember in like 2021, like in the summer of like the collections, it was just, I feel like all my comments were commenting on people's posts, like, congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. And now you're just trying to figure out who's still around and trying to like uplift those people and make sure that they're staying. And you can't really control if people are buying anything. And you just kind of hope that like the next cycle comes around and that the love for what you're doing hasn't gone anywhere. But obviously, like it's a it's a weird market where people are trying to like make smart moves and take less chances. And we created before Web3 and before sales, <laughs> like we were all hustling on Instagram for nothing really. And I think people that came here into Web3 with the right intentions are still doing okay. And I think the people that came here with not the wrong intentions, but only came for sales, obviously those have dried up. So it's tough to stick around. So selfishly, because I love seeing art and I love to see myself and others doing well, I hope that we have another bull market on the horizon but don't get no your hopes up in this space. <laughs> <laughs> don't get your hopes up here <laughs> yeah you just gotta wait and see no, you yeah. know like what we experienced at least is my my feeling that 2021 was so crazy it was like a rocket launch into space the web3 space and then it came crashing down at least it was a feeling but i think it was just a hard landing and a reverse to the mean so it's more normal like it is now that you ha actually have to grind and to find uh, someone or a market even. I think it's going to be that for, for quite some time, unless we have some catalyst coming in. 
but I'm, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Oh, I'm in a few group chats with other creators. And just as recently as today, there was just discussion about how do you attract more collectors into this space? And it's it's hard right now because I think what attracted a lot of people initially from an artist standpoint was the collections going crazy and people releasing a body of work and making $15,000 in a day or whatever it was like. So from an artist standpoint, it's hard to tell someone now, like you should get into NFTs, you know, because there's so much work that has to be done now versus then that most people wouldn't. I, I mean, I couldn't imagine starting from zero today, just entering the space now. But from a collector standpoint too, until you start to see like some serious secondary or liquidity in the art, it's going to be hard to choose the art over the shit coin that could 10x in the next week. And we've seen that this week and last week and the, for the last month is where people are going crazy with shit coins because you can make a quick buck if you do it right. But other people might lose a lot because they don't know what they're doing. So, And we all knew it was going to end in tears and it ended in tears. <laughs> yeah, I lost, I lost a little bit of money in the last week. Not a lot because I didn't put a lot in. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited for things to... I mean, I don't think they'll go back exactly how they were, but I'm excited for like the next version of of what they were whenever that may come around or whatever it may be. Just where it's more more about the art and less people saying it's about the art, but really it's not. I'll be here for the next cycle. However that yeah. however that cycle yeah. might look like. I've worked too hard to get to where I feel like I am in this space to just call it quits now. Definitely. How do you deal with with some things like imposter syndrome or self-doubt as an artist? And is there is there any advice that you can give to boost your confidence or motivation as an artist? Yeah, I'd say just like put the blinders on. I feel like comparison comparison's never gonna go well for you unless you choose to compare yourself to someone that's in your eyes lesser. And in that situation, it feels like it's kind of self-suiting. <laughs> Obviously, like there's much better photographers in the world than me. So I wouldn't ever consider my work to be supreme to anybody else's. And I think operating with that mentality is is healthy. I think when there was a lot of sales. I think it was really easy to sit there and think someone like Kath, like, man, like she just sold a piece for like 100 E. That's so crazy. But there's only one Kath. So you can't sit there and think like, how come I'm not selling for 100 E? And it's like, because you can't compare two things that are completely different. And the same thing goes for imposter syndrome. Like, I think the healthy thing in, in Web3 is that like, no one's really like counting their followers. And I feel like that was a big thing on Instagram where, you know, once you get to 10K, like you lose the comma and you get a K. And once you hit the Ks, like you're in like the big leagues, like you're in the thousands. And it's like, I'm never doing that on Twitter where it's like, oh, like this photographer, we shoot similar stuff. Like, why do they have a hundred thousand followers? Like, I don't give a shit. You know, yeah. I don't think anyone really does. Doesn't mean anything. Imposter syndrome is weird. It's not something I've like, I felt a ton of, thankfully, but I have talked to a lot of people that do. And it's sometimes it's surprising who feels it because you see them in a light where you're like, your art's insane. Like you're so talented. And how are you feeling this way about your own work? It's like, it's so hard to step out of yourself and kind of like see your art for what it is and be proud of it. And I feel like 
again, this circles back to what we talked about earlier, where it's taking time to like reflect and appreciate where you are. Because if you look at a photo I took in 2017 versus the photo I took in 2023, there's been a lot of progress and a lot of improvement. And it's something that I should be proud of. But if I'm comparing my photo in 2023 to a photo that someone else took in 2023, what's that going to do for me? It's you know? not going to help you, right? Sometimes it's refreshing to see that people who are successful are also struggling. And this recalibrates your own perspective just a little bit. So I guess just keep doing what you're doing and don't compare yourself too much to others. I think it's very good advice. Yeah, just like keep your eye on what you're doing. Take that influence, take the inspiration. But it's like on Twitter, like I said, with social media, you're usually getting the best from people. They're sharing like their wins, they're sharing the successes and the good things. But Like we're all human at the end of the day. We're all going to have struggles and feel these feelings. And like you said, it will surprise you sometimes people that you think are on top and just cruising through with no worries in the world. But then you have a conversation and they surprise you. Very seldom. Only happiness around. Yeah, keep doing it. Do you have any plans that you would like to share with us perhaps about your about some future projects uh, that you could hint at? I mean, you hinted at that you would be going back to Japan and shoot some new amazing stuff. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully it's amazing. <laughs> I know Japan will be amazing. Hopefully no my pressure. photos can, no pressure. <laughs> can translate that. I kind of fly by the seat of my pants a lot of times, for better or worse. I've tried to get better at having something ready to go and marketing it than just being like, here it is, and doing like stealth drops, which I've done quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't have anything planned. I have a collection on foundation called Outer that I've been pushing for a while that I dropped in the middle of the bear market, which for better or worse, it'll be there. And that was a project I shot when I shot the mini series come together on super rare. And that was one of the few projects I've actually like booked travel and accommodations and went specifically to shoot of which for me, it was a huge step instead of just like going out with the camera and seeing what I find. So that was a step in that direction for me. And I feel like Japan's going to be that way in a sense. Like I would be bringing my camera regardless just because it's such a photogenic place. But yeah, hopefully something comes out of that trip that can become a project that I can have the, the foresight to maybe market and get a drop. But yeah, not really any plans. I'm kind of just itching to get out with my camera more and just shoot more and kind of see see what I can get. Maybe start shooting some stuff that's a little bit more conceptual and staged on the fairies and not just kind of like street style. Something I was talking about yesterday with, with Jeannie, my partner, was like, it'd be kind of fun to start creating some concepts and then executing them on the fairies instead of just getting on with my camera and hoping I find something cool. So I don't know what they'll be. I never know. We'll be here and be happy to to see what you come up with. And it's really interesting to hear uh, you saying that you mostly are just winging it because I have the feeling that you're a master of marketing. So you're winging it pretty well. <laughs> I'm just winging it, man. I don't ever know what I'm doing. What would be a skill that everyone should have? Listening. I feel like actually listening is something that I kind of got burnt out, not from the spaces I hosted, but just listening into some Twitter spaces in the past. People just want to hear themselves talk. 
and they don't want to listen. I majored in communications in college. So for me, like communicating is a big deal. (laughs) And part of communicating is listening. And I don't think enough people truly have that skill set where they truly listen to what someone's saying and they're just thinking ahead to what they're going to say next. So I'd say listening is a skill that everyone should have. And this brings us beautifully back to the beginning of our conversation. I said you have to be in the moment and pay attention to where you are. So very, very beautifully put here. Full circle today. (laughs) Yeah, strong theme. So what would we find beneath that orange beanie of yours if you ever lifted it? And do we want to know? (laughs) (laughs) Today, a bad hairdo, non-showered, oily hair. Yeah, that's usually it. Usually unkempt hair and a brain full of thoughts and wonders and ADHD. That's what's hiding underneath here. (laughs) (laughs) And how many beanies do you actually have? I have two orange beanies. I have another one that's kind of like a tan version of the same beanie. And then some older ones I don't ever wear anymore. (laughs) Yeah, we're getting into like hot weather here. So I'll probably have to ditch the beanie pretty soon and start being unrecognizable. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were getting out your summer beanie. (laughs) Yeah, just just cut the top off so there's some <laughs> exactly. some uh, breathing no i actually i haven't ever gone to nft nyc but i've i've joked that i'm always there just no one knows because i'm not wearing a beanie exactly but yeah Where are you? <laughs> it's a seattle thing i guess i didn't i didn't really wear beanies when i lived in the bay area but up here it kind of makes sense when it's like 30 degrees in the winter but i also wear my beanie like an idiot and don't cover my ears so it doesn't really do anything for the cold weather because mm-hmm. my ears are still exposed <laughs> so gotcha. just a hipster dweeb right it's cool so are there any ferry lines in the united states that won't let you on board anymore and if so why <laughs> not yet i haven't done <laughs> anything crazy when i was thinking i mean This is just like the way my thoughts go. But on the collaboration side of things, I haven't worked with any photographers, but I thought about like, if I did, like, what would I do? And I was like, it'd be kind of fun to work with Isaac with Drift and do like where my vans go, but like sitting on top of the ferry with his feet (laughs) hanging over. But I feel like that could potentially get you kicked off the ferries. Oh, yeah. But I haven't done it. I don't do anything crazy. I'm, I'm very, I try and be as respectful and conscious of people's space as possible. Most people don't know that I've even taken a photo of them unless I've asked. But yeah, I try and just kind of operate as if I'm not there and make as little impact as possible. Just kind of get in and get out. Street photography Luckily, my camera has a very quiet shutter. So it's not like a you know, stereotypical film camera where it's like, and then it's just it's a very, very quiet shutter and a very quiet advancing of the film. So very discreet. I think it allows me to be a little bit more stealthy, minus the fact that it's a giant camera. But <laughs> yeah, it's a middle format camera, hard. right? So yeah, it's big, big boy. It's yeah. big. People look at it funny for sure. <laughs> Why are you using such a camera? You have a phone with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I was talked into getting the Mamiya 7 by Nathan Bowman and Nevin Johnson and Dean Harvey because they all have them or have had them. And I was just shooting on my dad's old Canon 
And they're like, you should get into like medium format. You should buy a Mamiya 7. And I bought one on eBay and it's so scary to shoot with it because if it malfunctions or breaks, it's basically done. Because it's an old camera and I don't think many people do repairs on them. Just always scary going out with that camera, but it's my favorite camera. And it, the photos it takes are crazy. So hopefully it, it, it'll happen someday, but hopefully no time soon. Hopefully it stays in one piece. Keeping my fingers crossed. Yeah. Chris, if you could tell your 2020 self something, what would that be? 2020, all things considered, with the pandemic was actually a, a very good year for me. I graduated college. We moved and bought a house got into like the web three space. If ETH was cheap back then, I would have told myself to buy ETH (laughs) (laughs) or buy a ton of film before it got marked up and overpriced. 2020 me was just trying to like figure out what I was going to do because I had finished college. There wasn't really many jobs to to be getting during the pandemic. So I kind of got lucky that web three came around and enabled me to make money while doing something I actually love. So, yeah, I don't know what I would tell 2020 me. You probably did everything right. <laughs> you, you did everything yeah. right. And yeah, I like this Zen-like attitude. So it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's not very often that I come across someone who says, yeah, I think 20 Jandy was pretty fine. And yeah, I did a solid job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I think we'll always look back at the pandemic as being kind of uniquely positive for my partner and I because we were able to move and get a house and kind of get out of our apartment in Oakland and kind of start this next chapter of our lives and be able to spend, obviously, because we were all cooped up, we got to spend a lot of time at our new house and kind of like get comfortable and situated versus moving during regular times. You'd get there and load your stuff and go to work on Monday and then do whatever you can when you get home and then go to work on Tuesday. So 2020 was kind of a strangely positive year for us, which feels weird to say. It's good. And now let's move to 2025. What if you could tell your 2025 self something? What would that be? Keep exercising. Hopefully I'm just doing good things in 2025 and I can tell myself to just keep doing what I'm doing again. Gosh, I don't know. I'll be 35 or 36. So maybe I'll have a kid. I don't know. That's a crazy question. I don't know. Interesting thought experiment. To be determined. I have no idea. Let's revisit in 2025, okay? <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. Who on Twitter should I follow? Who on Twitter should you follow? I want to say one of these accounts that posts like <laughs> cool nature videos <laughs> that sometimes pop up because I feel like we're both just probably so inundated with shit coins or platforms or <laughs> something drama or something that someone's minting that like it's I'm always really, really appreciative when in all of that, there's just like a a video of like, I don't know, like a bird sitting on like the back of a capybara or something where I'm just yeah. like, oh, that's different. Cool. And then you <laughs> keep doom scrolling. So I would say follow any account that is sharing cool animal videos or nature videos. I don't know what that account is. The next time I see one, I'll send it to you. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, do we have a recommendation? Who should I invite into the show uh, as one of my next guests, perhaps? Hmm, there's a lot of people. I'm always really excited to chat with Nathan Bowman, who I've mentioned a few times. We've kind of like shared the same experience in Web3, or we both kind of like connected at the same time and started dropping collections. And then we just, we chat fairly often. I feel like he's probably one of like the better friends that I've made in this space that would probably continue on even if, you know, Web3 just went away. I think he's one of those people that I'd remain in contact with and and probably continue to be friends with for a long time. So I would recommend chatting with him. It's always a good phone call. He's got a lot of experience as a photographer, both shooting his own projects, but also shooting weddings and client work. And he's kind of dabbled in some of like the AI stuff. So it'd probably be a fun conversation. I always... Yes. Yeah, no, I'm happy to chat with him. We have exchanged a couple of DMs so far. Uh, let's see. And and I think you have a very similar visual style regarding your color grading. And uh, he, he likes to shoot diners, I think. He shoots a lot of diner stuff now. He's his kind of like his first, well, first and only collection, I think, like big collection was 100 pieces called Hidden in Plain Sight, which yes. is a lot of showcasing scenes that people might consider mundane or very normal, but kind of like highlighting some things that he saw with his vision. I want to say like Route 66, these old, just coming across like old cars and cool scenes along the way, but a lot of cars, which I can appreciate the old cars on film. <laughs> it's definitely a, definitely yes. a vibe. Yes. And he's, I guess, influenced by Eggleston, his style, and a very, very remarkable I really yeah. like Nathan's pieces. So let's see. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. And it was really a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for taking the time to be on the show. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you for having me. All the best and hope to speak to you soon. Absolutely. You too. <laughs> Bye, Chris. Bye.